Hello there, it is Nathan from the future. Uh, the podcast you're about to hear is like three years old. It's also not very good, but we thought we'd upload it for nostalgia reasons. And it is the first time me and Scott ever had a conversation. And the conversation mostly revolved around Vengeance 2006. One of the best shows ever made, apparently. I don't remember a whole lot about it other than Kane fighting Kane. And nope, that's honestly about it. But enjoy listening. Uh, you're going to hear some plugs for things that don't exist anymore. But as always, Rogue Opinions is at Rogue underscore Opinion. Thanks for listening. Try and enjoy. Don't blame me if you don't. As I've already said, it's not very good. Bye now. going on everyone welcome back to a reg break podcast for throwback thoughts uh, we're not doing nxt today we're also not doing money in the bank but we have used a randomizer of a website to bring vengeance 2006 to your lovely lovely ears and with me unfortunately he's not happy about having to watch it but he is here still it's scott mcleod scott what's going on i've got some very mixed emotions nathan i must say I'm happy to be here doing this show, not happy to have to start through the show that I had to, to get here. I mean, at least it wasn't very long. <laughs> yeah, but I remember before uh, I heard it was Vengeance, or I heard you say that it was possibly going to be All In, and how we took such a dip quality-wise from All In to this. I think, unfortunately, because, it, because I suddenly remembered how long All In is. <laughs> And then <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I really want to watch this. And then someone else came up and said, oh, here's a website. It just randomly picks a wrestling show from the network. And I thought, oh, that'd be fun. And then when Vengeance 2006 came up, I thought instantly it was 2005. So I was like, oh, wow, yeah. HBK Angle. Oh, Triple H Batista in a hell in a cell. This is going to be amazing. And then the show started. And I was like, oh, OK, it, it's not that one. It's the one where Kane fights himself. Yeah, uh, the, that one, the year before would have been great, but as soon as you told me what year, uh, that instantly, the first thought, again, the show I remember for is that match. And that's the only thing I could think of. It's the show with that match. That match. I mean, yeah, how that match got so much time. Because it was like 10 minutes, wasn't it? Actually, Actually, it wasn't actually. It's actually less than that. It just felt like that. I, I took the liberty of finding the times for all the matches. Oh, well, let's jump straight into it then, and then we'll get to it as it comes. Vengeance 2006. It took place on June 25th, 2006, obviously, uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina. I didn't write down the name of the venue, unfortunately, but you know there were 6,800 people there, and we opened actually with a decent video package which is something that I always praise on these shows because I love the video packages. They really tend to get you hyped for them. Yeah, something they do very well in WWE. Yeah. Yeah, we've got JR and the King on commentary, which is another plus for us. And the first yeah. person we see is Randall Randall Keefe. And Randy Orton <laughs> comes out 
He's got his old music. Which one do you prefer, Voices or um, Nothing You Can Say? No, this one. This one. I, it was one of my first thoughts. He comes to like, yes, he's coming up to the good theme. <laughs> I like. I prefer this one as a song, but Voices uh, suits the character yeah. better. Well, it suits him when he had that brief, like, when he was a bit crazy between 2009 and 2011, but when we came just over the years, he's becoming, as it became clear, he doesn't care. It's really starting to distance him. Yeah, I mean, we had the brief and, spell last year where he was stabbing Jeff Hardy with screwdrivers, but then it kind of all fell off a cliff. Yeah. And he broke tight. It's yeah. him when he's doing stuff like that, but when he's just like when he, it's clear he's not doesn't care when he's in feuds with like say Jinder Mahal, uh, I don't really. There's nothing wrong with Jinder Mahal. Wow. I don't even want to start that. We've got we've got enough <laughs> shit to wade through without opening that. So Randy Orton, he's been having problems with um, Kurt Angle. This is Wrestling Machine ECW Kurt Angle. Um, who comes out, and I did notice, and I noted down, it was that small phase between, um, like, just before he left, where they edited out the part of the music where the crowd chant, you suck. Yeah. He really committed just, to the rest of the machine part. <laughs> yeah, it was really stupid, the way they edited this team. Because it doesn't really matter if they chant, you suck, because I think at this point, they were very much behind the current, like, wrestling machine character, especially... When he was against Thornton, who the crowd clearly didn't like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what did you make of Kurt Angle being part of the new ECW? It was. You... It was first. It seemed a bit weird, but uh, also at the time I didn't know about the history. I had like when he nearly signed like ten years prior, and then didn't oh, because yeah. he was offended over the whole Raven Sandman crucifixion angle. But I really like it was something different because. When you think of it, because ECW back in the day it had proper wrestlers like him, they had Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko. So having him as a, a bit of a, if you have a Kurt Angle match on ECW, it's something a bit of a refresher from the usual, like what you'd expect from ECW. Yeah, definitely. No. Yeah, I remember hearing him talk about that on the like Steve Austin's been replaying classic episodes of his podcast recently. I remember hearing mm-hmm. him talk about that say he was backstage and then he just saw that crucifixion thing happen and he just straight away like started mm-hmm. shouting at Paul Heyman and then just left <laughs> yeah oh, lucky he wasn't watching WWE when Undertaker was trying to murder Stephanie McMahon yeah because I remember hearing tell he said he was watching Raw one night and that's what convinced him to give it another go and thing like he clearly wasn't watching a particular episode when Undertaker was doing his usual ministry stuff because God knows what you would have thought of that. <laughs> and the brood were just dropping blood on people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a, actually a really good opener. Um, it may even, unfortunately for the show, be the match of the night. Um, I mean, there is obviously the IC Triple Threat and Edge RVD to come. The story is very mm-hmm. much the to start off with Orton obviously can't out-wrestle Kurt Angle. Yeah. Um, the commentators are obviously referring to the fact they've had matches quite recently and Orton's not been able to get the better of Kurt. Uh, we get some decent spots on the outside, but the ending kind of comes with Orton earlier in the match exposed one of the turnbuckles whilst he's trapped in the ankle lot. He rolls through. Kurt Angle does a very over dramatic 
he obviously wasn't in the right place because <laughs> he traps no, he was not. halfway across the ring and just throws himself at this turnbuckle. RKO and done. Um, yeah, I thought it was re- it's about what you expect from these two. I think if Autumn was probably 08-09 Autumn against this Kurt mm-hmm. Angle, we probably would have got a slightly better match because yeah. Autumn wasn't quite a complete package yet. He was still about 12 years old. So. <laughs> yeah. False sense like, of security for what's to come. <laughs> yeah, I like this match, but I wouldn't go as far as the match of the night because, well, it was good, but I think there was a big lull in the middle with Orton doing a lot, a lot of headlocks, which sadly he does far too much, especially in the last few years. And like, I did like what you said the bit at the start where he was he couldn't out wrestle him, was just like bring him down, just slap him in the head, like just like knew he knew he had him where he wanted him. But like you said, there was a big lull period as well because it seemed to be right between uh, full of personality, legend killer Orton into psychotic, just transitioning into the voices theme song Orton. This, this is just some weird middle ground where he just he just did a lot of headlocks. Like you said, it was very slow for me in the middle, and yeah, like in the last few minutes when he's first started to try and put the turnbuckle that's when it really picked up for me uh and it, yeah i think kurt only realized midway through the roll of the ankle that he wasn't in position and had to make up and run and try and not make it too obvious and in, in doing so made it so obvious that he wasn't in position and then just thought it was a good idea for the finish but yeah it was a good idea because i think they they obviously still wanted to protect kurt angle because they had hope that he was going to end up sorting himself mm-hmm. out and re-signing, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, so they wanted to... Be, yeah. I think it, you are kind of right about Autumn in this phase, because I can't really think of anything he really did mm-hmm. at this time. Um, there was kind of a yeah. big... I know a year later he would kind of be back in the world title picture with Triple H. Yeah, because yeah, like, uh, towards the end of the year he would start Raid RKO, and that was fun. And then he would start to show that more viciously where that's where he would debut the whole punt and some of the moves he's, he does now uh, but at this point I don't think he had much like he was yeah, again facing angle because he had the match in Smackdown where he got his ankle broke and then they did the ECW match and then this again and he finally got the win and I think he was like okay what's next and when was rated RKO? that must have been later in the year in 2006 yeah, later, they faced yeah, DX, end, didn't they? Well, I think it was end of 2006 going into 2007 because I remember one of their first big matches was at New Year's Resolution, which is in January 2007, where they fought wow. uh, DX. I think that's where Triple H injured his other quads mid-match. Uh, okay, I know they had the... It was either a Cyber Sunday or a Taboo Tuesday. I can't remember when it changed when Eric Bischoff was the ref and he screwed over DX. Yeah. Was that... Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, decent, decent opener. Um, <laughs> well, how do we talk about this segment? <laughs> uh, um, I didn't even Vin- know this was a thing. So Vince McMahon is backstage. He's on the phone to someone. He talks about how vengeance mm-hmm. is mine. Um, and then comes a little kid in a wheelchair. He's wearing a DX shirt. And I was very worried at this point because I don't think I didn't remember this segment I was like oh my god what are they doing here um, Vince goes crazy on the kid he starts talking about genitalia 
which in 2019, they're not going to do that again. Um, And then he shoves the kid in the wheelchair into another room. um, And you hear kind of a clattering Mm -hmm. of items. I mean, we'll get to the Jonathan Coachwood stuff in a minute, but they would never, ever do something like this again, would they? No, thankfully. And like you said, like Vince was in a weird, weird thing in this time period because like he was doing these weird segments with the female members of the roster. He was going to churches. He was wanting to fight gods, and so you do this McMahon like or very much any version of McMahon is not good to have a segment with a kid in a wheelchair. But also, even though this isn't the worst part of the segment, I want to see about this kid's acting for a moment here because. He he made. I think he should have looked a bit more terrified. Like when he look, when he's about to get wheeled out of the room, he he has this low expression, like he's having a good time. He's just happy to be like this crazy old man has just grabbed your wheelchair. You should be terrified. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that kid went on to be an actor. I'm just gonna guess. <laughs> but Jonathan Coachman then walks in for a different door, um, mm-hmm. and he. he it turns into a comedy segment where Coachman kind of asks Vince for a favour. Would he meet? It's a close family friend. He's a kid in a wheelchair. And then Vince makes a funny face. Um, yeah. Hasn't Coach got the... Because there's a penis pump gag going on throughout the show, isn't there? Yeah. This, yeah, keep sending him at Yeah, very embarrassing. Yeah, which plays out. Um, did it play out here or was it later in the show? No, there was a, a thing with Spirit Squad later on where, where it happened. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was quite funny at the end where Coach was like, oh, family friend, uh, will you meet this kid? And then obviously Vince is making a funny face and be like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but just kind of offensive on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even... I still don't know what it was maybe... I get the swerve of... Maybe like, oh, actually, this kid actually is a big fan of Vince and he's just throwing him, and then he's letting DX get to him, but I just don't see how it accomplished anything. And also, it's really weird because this kid's in a wheelchair, and it's in 2019 where we're just seeing a woman go in the Hall of Fame because of her work with WWE and yeah, Make-A-Wish. Yeah. So <laughs> that gets even a bit of a weirder light on. Like, clearly, they were not one. This is one of the things they don't want you to think about when, they, when you think of this year's Warrior Award winner. Yeah. Definitely. Like, props to them for not editing out too many things on the network, but um, because you can't just hide it. But yeah. But speaking even of, you of probably should. Even though you probably should. But speaking of offensive, um, <laughs> match <Wow>. two. <laughs> out comes Umaga, and I wrote down a question here: Was Umaga a racist gimmick? I think he was just. The latest version of the whole Samoan savage thing that's been going on for years. Yeah, because he was meant to be like this weird Samoan kind of cannibal guy or something. Yeah. Like, God knows what yeah. he's meant to be. Um, yeah. He's maybe some sort of savage who couldn't speak properly, and that's why they had to have uh, Armando with him as his like, handler slash interpreter. Yeah, exactly. Um Armando Alejandro Estrada. He's very good at talking. I used to like him. Yeah, uh, he's still good. Yeah, he's pretty good. And this really helped make it 
work even as offensive as it may seem. Yeah. It's like his little laugh every time he finishes a sentence. He'd be like, ha ha. Yeah. He's, um, he's very evil in a comical way. <laughs> didn't he wrestle for a bit in ECW? Don't, don't think so. I think he was GM of ECW for a while. But... Uh, maybe. Um, but, I mean, let's move on to something that's definitely offensive because out comes Eugene. <laughs> and... Now, I, this might seem weird to say here, but part of me has a bit of a soft spot for Eugene because... My one of my peaks early on watching wrestling is like around about oh four, where Eugene first appeared on TV. So part of me, like I know fine well, like the idea of the gimmick is not really PC and all that. But part of me kind of like ah uh, yeah, but I, I still kind of like Eugene. Like no, by this point, because by this point, yeah, the gimmick is well out his own. But when he was getting a team with Chris Benoit and Triple H, who used to be his favourite wrestler, that was that's when I kind of like Eugene. And he got to take over Raw for a night, and his his office is, was a bouncy castle. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked. Like, came... I think they, because of like the time frame when it first started, it worked. But I think by this point, yeah, he had, it was done, and he started to get some really bad reactions towards the end of his run. I remember. I mean, see what you want, like, for the gimmick, like, the guy, Nick Dinsmore, who played him, is actually apparently a very accomplished wrestler, and, like, he did get two major SummerSlam matches, like, he fought Triple H in 04, and then fought Kurt Angle in 05, so... Yeah, I mean, he got it to what he got it over. He made the most of it. Yeah, he... Yeah, he made the most of it. What really helped him was when he was... What really helped him was when he was with Regal early on as his manager, who essentially... He goes like an uncle who had to keep, take care of him, or in a way, and like they got to win the titles. But I think as soon as Regal left and he was on his own, that that's when it kind of just people got sick of it. Yeah, and I mean a gimmick like that is it's never going to have legs for long. Um, yeah, we look at this match. Essentially, it's like which gimmick's more offensive: the outdated, <laughs> the one stereotype, or the portrayal of mental illness? Well, not mental illness, but you know. What a fun, fun thing to do. Do you think they would ever bring Eugene back for like a one-off appearance? I think they actually did in 09. In a match with a Miz on Raw. <laughs> but probably not these days. Not these days, but apparently he's actually got his own school now. Oh, is he? Has he, re- cause I know, yeah. has he retired the gimmick? Because I know his Twitter name is still yeah. Eugene. I think he occasionally does it uh, at like indie shows, but I don't think he he does it like full. It's his full thing. I think he occasionally wrestles just as himself. Uh, fair enough. Um, Eugene for this match against Umaga uh, has brought help, and of course he's he's brought the best help. It's like a new oddities. Um, because <laughs> out comes Jim Duggan first, um, mm-hmm. then Doink the Clown. And finally, Kamala. Essentially, here's the here's the 90s version of Umaga. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fact that they actually play that up at the end is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, the match goes. Yeah. I think it's about ninety seconds or something it's like that. Your, 
Or the time I looked up, I want to say just for uh, for consistency, the last match, the Orton Angle was 12 minutes 50 seconds, whereas this went a whopping 1 minute 26. Oof. I mean, long, I didn't... As long as it should have. Yeah, it's about a minute too long. Um, Umaga wins <laughs> with the Samoan spike. Eugene does try and get a bit of offence in. Jim Duggan's just on the outside doing a USA chant. <laughs> um, Umaga then beats down Duggan and Doink. And then Kamala is there to face him off. <laughs> and Estrada actually tells then, Umaga to leave it. <laughs> yeah, because I think somehow they were going to be like, oh, maybe Umaga versus Kamala will happen at some point. And as far as I can tell, I don't think it ever did. Oh, no, it did. They had a match on Raw. <laughs> yeah, I googled it after. I didn't watch it because I didn't want to be that unhappy um, because I can't imagine it was any good but I just couldn't believe, like, what, what were they thinking? Why why Kamala? I don't know, I don't even know why any of these speakers, you think about Eugene like yeah, when he's like copying wrestlers that he used to watch growing up, that was his party's gimmick never at any point has he mentioned Jim Duggan or Kamala or <laughs> Like, like he occasionally did the Hogan like leg drop, and Hogan was gonna appear a few months later for SummerSlam. Like, and Hogan's whole thing was occasionally coming in, he would be the guy to stop like the monster. Like, having Hogan in Eugene's corner, like I know Hogan would be too expensive, but you know, like, yeah, that makes more sense than this. Yeah, I think the trouble is if you bring Hogan in, um, he's probably gonna try and get Eugene to win. So that he can pose after, and I don't well, want to no, see. Well, no, not necessarily. You could have like Eugene lose, but then have a bit of a face. So like Hogan gets a couple of punches and then knocks Kamala down, and having Kamala essentially saying like because it makes Hogan look good, which is always what he's after. Isn't it weird that Hogan's last WWE match was against Randy Orton? Something no yeah. one ever brings which, up again. And what they should bring up because is it, Hogan Orton's whole thing was he actually was quite nice. Uh, I think on the first ever Saturday Night's Main Event, uh, Hogan faced Randy's dad, and, and it was on a Saturday Night's Main Event. I believe the last one they ever did, actually one of the last they ever did, it was where Orton challenged uh, Hogan to a match, and then they had the match at SummerSlam, and Orton lost. So the Legend Killer came up against the Ultimate like Legend, and he lost. <laughs> Yeah, and then we never saw Hogan again. <laughs> it's quite funny. I think it was the last like time. Uh, I think it was the last time uh, one of the Orton's last big matches. It's the Legend Killer because I think he would slowly move away from from there. So it seems uh, they're saying Hogan in terms of the Legends is the final boss, and Orton couldn't get past the final boss. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's funny that a year before. Uh, what's reported is that Hogan was meant to have three matches with Shawn Michaels and he only ended up having one because he said he couldn't do it and he needed surgery. But a year later, he's back <laughs> and he had to win both those SummerSlam matches. Oh. Yeah. And he said, and weird, it's weird enough saying that it was his last WWE match. It should have been his last match ever, but no, he had to fight Sting in 2011. Oh, God, don't want to bring that up. That way he just turned into this really weird guy who was just wearing bandanas and jeans. 
and was just blading for every single match. <laughs> yeah. Well, that segues us quite nicely into uh, well, blading. Yeah. Definitely segues us nicely into this. But first off, I do want to talk about the interview that um, Mick Foley is obviously a hit, is a heel at the moment. They're using the fact that Ric Flair uh, called him a glorified stuntman in his book. Um, heel yeah. Foley was amazing here. He's, yeah, you don't get to see much. You don't get to see much heel Foley, and it's a shame because like, it's like all the he can really turn it up the heel wise when he wants to. Yeah, I know his ECW stuff was really good um, when he was working mm-hmm. heel there. And then here is just uh, what he does is he reads the passage from Ric Flair's book. Um, obviously, they're in North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, so that he's going to get booed no matter what he does. But he really heals it up. He reads out the glorified stuntman bit. And it's a two out of three falls match. And Foley does say, well, he's going to beat Flair by wrestling and sort of prove himself. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, the match starts. It's a good back and forth. Foley's kind of all over him. Flair gets a uh, sort of an inside cradle for the first fall. Foley kind of. Um, when does he bring up Flair's these Mr. Socko that's dressed as Ric Flair? Is that before or after the fall? I think it was before the first fall. Yeah, well, he's got a Mr. Socko where he's kind of put a blonde wig and a robe on it, which is quite funny. Um, I kind of thought it was a bit of unnecessary comedy though because it was meant yeah. to be this very, very serious feud where Ric Flair has slagged off Foley in his book and then kind of Flair sort yeah, of dragged oh, I But, I mean, it's a good, it was, yeah. he was going to get booed no matter what he did. Um, but yeah. they brought to the outside. Foley does then go for a load of weapons. Um, Flair cuts him off in mm-hmm. the ring, gets the figure four on, and that's where Foley attacks with a weapon. Uh, to lose the second yeah. fall by DQ and the match. Uh, before we get to the yeah. aftermath, just kind of, what did you think of the match? Uh, well, I wanted to say about the, the outback stage, but like I did like and they search where he referred to it as a novel, not an autobiography, because an uh, autobiography contains facts. <laughs> and uh, right. yeah, I think it was. Sorry. Are you going to say something? Or... No, 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 go on. Alright, yeah, because this I think at the time this was they did have some legit heat. It seems so they made an angle because I think uh, Foley had also taken shots at Flair in his book because he said like he said that Flair was just as bad a booker as he was good at wrestling. So there was some tension between them, and as I think it could have been a lot better this match because this is a two or three falls match. And it went seven minutes thirty-two. That's so short. This match was, which is far too short for this kind of match. And really, just I don't think it painted fully in this best light, even though he's the heel, because he tried to do the figure four, and that's when he got rolled up. And then when he couldn't get out of the figure four, he got himself DQ'd. So essentially, this player just needed to be fully isn't good enough to wrestle Flair, so he has to resort back to the thing, even though he said he was kind of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I kind of thought, I just, to your point, I just thought the match was really short. And I don't really get, why make it two out of three falls if you're just going to kind of do this ending? Why not just make it one fall, uh, make it competitive, make Foley get close, but then get frustrated and lose by DQ? 
I don't see why Foley had to get pinned and then get DQ'd, but um, I just found that a bit yeah. weird. I think I think the the reason for it was a two or three holes match. Like if your like player is known for going the distance, he would do like sixty matches back in his his prime, and like it's like all about endurance and to go three beat someone two falls rather than just the one. You go prefer to go long. I think in players' mind, uh, fully not being a real wrestler doesn't have that endurance. Doesn't have the skill. I think it was going to be fully agreed to, to kind of prove him wrong, and also he lost. And then it was weird at SummerSlam they would have an I Quit match, where I think Flair would win that as well. So essentially, Flair won at his own game and beat Foley at his. So it made Foley look really bad in the street in general. That was the one. Didn't Molina get involved? And Foley only quit because Flair was going to do something to Molina. Yeah, I heard Molina was involved. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the finish of that match. I think I've seen it before, so apologies if I've just made that up, but I'm pretty sure that's how the I quit match ends. Yeah. Um, post-match, yeah. Foley continues the attack. He obviously gets he gets all his hardcore trademarks out, uh, gets Barbie out, the barbed wire baseball bat or two-by-four, one of them. Uh, hits Flair with it, and Flair does a gigantic blade job. He is bleeding everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> any excuse, any excuse to shed some blood. You gotta think how much blood has Flair lost over the years? The amount of times he's played in matches. Considering how much he apparently drinks, he can't have drunk that much yeah. because he was he was blading every night. So like. He uh-huh. only needed, what, one or two beers? <laughs> and he would have been fine. He's got no mm-hmm. blood left in him. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Strange, it just... As you were saying before we started recording, the timing and the pacing of this show is so weird. <laughs> like, I just don't get two out of three fools. It gets, yeah. like, five, six minutes. Oh, strange. Yeah, if you're going to build... If you're hoping to build something, I think they're trying to build to the equipment match... Uh, down the line, like you said, have it a one-fall match if you're just starting the feud, then maybe go into the two or three, and then the, the I quit kind of, like the typical, you have three matches, and like it's the person who wins two out of the three is like the winner of the feud and all that. Yes, yeah, I just don't think this match did anything for Foley, because it didn't even show at any point he could out-wrestle Flair. So I just think maybe just do like a 10, 12 minute normal match have Foley get really annoyed because he's tried to out-wrestle him as much as he can and then go for the weapons I think that'd be a bit more effective but instead we've had to watch him lose and get pinned and then get frustrated because he got pinned and yeah uh, I don't know I know he got frustrated because he was caught in the figure four yeah well I originally thought maybe they were sure because Foley has taken a lot of like He's had a lot of injuries over his career. Then again, he did continue to wrestle. Like I believe he even wrestled in TNA, where he won. He won, he won the world title. He played the legends. And he won the legends belt for like a week or so. So he still had a fair few matches after that. So I don't think the injuries are necessarily to blame for it. Yeah, I think he was. Point. He was probably hurting by this point, but as you say, he went on to have a good run in TNA because he had. He won the world title when it cage match against Sting I think or the Legends one but he won one of them yeah. off Sting in a cage 
and that was quite a long match. So I don't know. I just think it. I just think it plays into this entire show where it's just so weird. Um, Flair obviously gets helped to the back after he's left all of his blood in the ring. Ringo um, was really well made me laugh, but that just might be my sense of humour. But we got Maria Canellis interviewing Carlito, and we get the mm-hmm. cool paradox segment where Maria is basically <laughs> saying people who know they're who claim to be cool aren't cool but people who don't think they're cool turn out to be cool <laughs> and Carlito's really funny <laughs> but he's just standing there looking baffled not knowing uh, but then we obviously get to the 2006 WWE bit where we have to see Maria Canellis rubbing baby oil onto a bikini wearing Tory Wilson um, I presume this was just a fill time whilst they collected all of Flair's blood from the ring but, well, they didn't feel, give it enough time because there was still quite a bit of blood. Oh, there was for the next show, match. wasn't it? Like, yeah, you could clearly see it, like a big patch of it in the middle of the middle of the mat. Yeah, I know. Obviously, we're sat in 2019, where women have just main evented WrestleMania, yeah. but they've got all this random pacing and random crap on this show. And I checked from my notes, Mickey James was the women's champion at the minute. She is not on this show <laughs> at all. She doesn't even make an appearance. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was the thing for me. Like, There were four women on the show. Two of them were involved in this segment, and the other two were valets and other matches. No even mention of the women's championship whatsoever. Yeah, no, we know. I know, I know. I don't think Trish Stratus had returned because I read that she, her... Uh, uh, to dislocate her shoulder in a match a couple of months before this. But Mickey James was fine. Like, why couldn't we have got rid of Eugene and bloody Umaga and just given kind of Mickey James kind of a five minute title defense against even a Tory Wilson? Tory Wilson's he was not the best wrestler in the world, but. Uh, but well, by like. Uh... I think Lita would win the women's championship for her not long after this because she would also in September lose it to Trish and Trish's big retirement. So also by Trish, Lita wins the women's title. She doesn't defend it on SummerSlam. She's in Edge's corner again at SummerSlam, and then she defends it against Trish, which is our only I think pay-per-view defense of that reign. Isn't a Trish? So like like maybe having Lita v Mickey have that on this show rather than having it on TV and like, like at least having a women's tail defence on, like, pay-per-view. Again, like you said, 2019, it's different for, for us. Yeah, I just think they got all this... They did have talent here that could have put on something. So I just think it's a real... Mm-hmm. It's a real... It shows how far, obviously, we've come, or how far wrestling yeah. has come, when you compare it to this. Um, but because, as you say, four women on the show and two of them... Are rubbing baby oil on each other whilst to to for some reason because Carlito just comes out next and it is the IC triple threat. Um, Carlito mm-hmm. v Johnny Nitro or John Morrison or Johnny Impact or Johnny Mundo, whatever you want to know him as. Um, he's got Molina with him and Shelton Benjamin is the champion. Shelton Benjamin, whose personality at this point was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. What a guy! <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't quite the uh, wasn't quite the gold standard yet. But. 
No, had he had had he had um, his mum with him yet? Or was that later on? Yeah, I think it was at the start of the year. At the start of the year, they did that. And obviously, I think once he won the icy tail, I don't think he needed his mum with him anymore. She taught him everything he needs to know about wrestling. Uh, this yeah. was it. Was it even his actual mum? No, it wasn't. Was it? One note I did make. Why doesn't Shelton Benjamin have? Ain't no stopping me now. Why has he got that random generic crappy song? When you got that in the bank. Yeah, I, I was watching this. I, I think I'm pretty sure he came into that. Like, either that or I've already forgotten. Because by this point, like, this is the first proper like, match I enjoyed on this show. So I think I was so like bored by this point, I wasn't even listening to the music. <laughs> um, question. Do you prefer mm-hmm. the Intercontinental Champion with the white strap or this one with the black strap? I prefer the white strap. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, Canvas mm-hmm. is covered in blood, in Ric Flair's blood. Uh, yeah. Melina was representing the women. No, she was all over the place in this match. Uh, we got to hear her yeah. scream. I wrote down, for some reason, I wrote down Melina darting around in those heels is very impressive. <laughs> she was well, disappearing up the ramp. <laughs> it was the most talent we've seen from any of the women on this show. <laughs> yeah, unless you're into baby oil massages, then <laughs> this is it. Um, That's how you get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, poor that, Tori Wilson. No, that was harsh. I mean, I really enjoyed her Hall of Fame speech, to be fair. Yeah, God knows how she got through it, but. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, but yeah, it was a really good speech, and I do like that she acknowledged everyone that was saying she didn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Thought that was mm-hmm. a good move. Why not? Um, but yeah, this is this. I don't know if this was my favourite match because I'm kind of torn between the opener, this one, and then Edge v RVD. But this was very good, and we had some great, great spots of dives to the outside with Melina helping, putting. Um, Johnny Nitro's foot on the rope like yeah. why are there rope breaks in a triple threat because you can't get disqualified because it's a triple well, threat yeah. <laughs> I, think that, I think that applies to like in terms of submission because you get DQ'd if you don't break the five count but I think pen wise I don't think it's, there's a DQ but, the rules change to me all the time yeah how do you win I just don't get how you lose a match oh, I don't know it's wrestling I shouldn't we just saw a special needs man fight a Samoan savage, and I'm questioning the rules. <laughs> um, Johnny Nitro gets the gets the win. Carlito backcracker or backstabber onto Benjamin. Nitro pulls him out of the ring to steal the pin. I thought it was quite a weak finish. I think it made sense more so to me, given that it was a heel and also like you see that all the time, like somebody does all the work, but someone else will steal. Like the victor. Yeah, I just think maybe it's the backstabber or the backcracker. I can't remember what, what Carlito called it. It just doesn't look like. Because I think it's such a transitional move these days, those big backbreakers. And like Sasha Banks obviously does the does it to lead into the bank statement. So yeah. I think maybe it's more just forgetting that this was actually Carlito's finisher and that he would yeah. beat loads of people with it. Oh. 
Okay, change anything about that finish. I would like have had Nitro getting a bit quicker because there was like a few seconds where Cardio was just lying there, and then he went for the cover. If he went for it, and then immediately Nitro's in there kicking him out of the ring, and then goes for the cover. Then would have uh, been a bit better. But the fact that there was a bit of a not as long as like Triple H at me in nineteen before he covered <laughs> T, but you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I think like if I was going to be critical and. I'm no wrestler or anything. I might have had Johnny Nitro just hit another move on yeah. Benjamin. Because as you say, it's probably a combination of the the move being sort of a transitional move these days. And then um, the delay, as you said, mm-hmm. between Johnny Nitro getting in the ring. Yeah, um, I'm hitting another move. Been good. I don't know if he was if he was doing the Starship pain yet or if he wouldn't be there until he was John Morrison. But if he'd like, Rolled in, hit that, and then covered him, and that would have been like a more convincing finish. Yeah, definitely. I used to love John Morrison, like ECW yeah. run. And then, yeah, he was. Well, I hate Starship Pain because he <laughs> it's like 99% of the time he doesn't hit it properly. Yeah. <laughs> and it just looks so... It's just such a weak finish. <laughs> like, for someone that can do so many incredible things... Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I'm just pulled to him. As I say, he is the Intercontinental Champion now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, potentially match of the night. I mean, I don't know. I do have the Meltzer ratings for that I forgot to read out for the first two matches. So I'll give those just to compare. He went for, he gave the opener order an angle three and a quarter. Uh, he gave nothing to Umaga v <laughs> Eugene. He only gave one and a quarter to Foley and Flair. Mm-hmm. And this got three stars. Uh, so he's rating it slightly less than that. And I know for people that aren't, it's just a reference point. I'm not saying that Dave Meltzer's opinion is gospel. It's just a good reference point to use. Um, would you say that's about right? Or did you, would, would you, did you prefer the opener? Uh, actually, I think I prefer this to the opener. Like usually, like I don't always agree with with some of Meltzer's range, especially when he goes all out and does all the six, seven star things. But yeah, I think like in terms of this preview, having to sit through it, I think he was very fair. And like this is one of the first matches that got the time it needed. That but the the run time have actually improved it because they gave it twelve minutes, which I think was enough time. Carlito didn't actually know who won this match, which helped. I actually wanted Carlito one because I think he pulled at some of the better spots where he bounced on the apron from one rope to the other and then on to both guys on the outside. So it was a weirdly, even though he was like kind of creepy looking at Tori and Marie in the, the previous segment, I found myself actually rooting for him. And I did like that he was sitting there watching and then his music hit and he was actually angry that he had to go out and fight for a tail because he wanted to stay a bit longer. <laughs> oh. oh, God. And then, yeah, they got the puppies joke in there as well where Tori was like, I need you to hold my puppies. And she yeah. literally just handed him two dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just cracked me up. Like, it's, you shouldn't really laugh at that. Well, you shouldn't really laugh at that stuff these mm-hmm. days. But it is funny to say. <laughs> so weird. Um, but yeah, I was actually... You kind of brought a point to myself. They really highlighted Carlito. But then he didn't win. And I thought that's a bit weird. Usually you can kind of tell who's going to win matches in WWE by who they highlighting the most yeah. and Carlito obviously got the backstage statement beforehand the commentary were really playing him up um, but then obviously I'm presuming it must lead into he probably gets 
a load of matches with Johnny Nitro after this, I'd presume. Oh, well, I'm not sure if he did, but I think it was kind of highlighted that he put in this great effort and he kind of puts over Johnny the heel that Carlito puts in this great effort, but then he steals the victory from. But I do believe Johnny in the next couple months kind of trades the tail back and forth with Jeff Hardy, who returns not long after this. Like they have a really good like, cage oh, match, okay. I think. Yeah, I forgot Jeff Hardy came back soon. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Do you remember where Carlito just got absolutely buried by Triple H? Yeah. Like and they had that match. Yeah, and they had that match where for Carlito it was no disqualifications, but for Triple H it was a normal match, and Triple H just absolutely murdered him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, yeah. But we will get to Triple H burying people when we get to the main event. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save yeah. that juice. Um, I mean, speaking of juice, uh, the Spirit Squad are backstage with Vince McMahon. Uh, the Spirit Squad have sort of hyping themselves up, and Vince came in and kind of talked about them winning. And this is the point where Vince decides maybe maybe he can use that, that good old penis pump. Uh, goes to use it, we hear a pop, and Vince comes out of the toilet covered in green paint. That is comedy, folks. Comedy gold. Well, as to some people, these people being mids. Um, so this is kind of, these matches are all over the place because in my mind, what we're about to talk about should easily have been the main event. Like for yeah. me, it's not even a question that sh- this should have been on last. Uh, is the WWE Championship match, is the follow-up from kind of One Night Stand 2006 where um, RVD won the WWE title and the ECW title. Or did he win the ECW title or did he already have it? Well, the story was he was going to win it if he won the title. That would be rebranded. Okay. He said the ECW and WWE champion. The excuse was he loves ECW and he looks at the WWE and this one also spins. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I hated the spinny belt. So I, 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 I was pretty young when it came out, so I actually, I even had for a while a replica of it. Oh, God. I uh, recently gave it away, but, you know, for a while I had it. Because oh, I would have only been, I'd have been 13, and I hate it then, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I was never really a John Cena fan. Yeah. I think it was only a few, I'd only been a few years younger when it came out, and I think for a reason I really enjoyed seeing his thugonomics. So when he won the title, I was naturally quite happy. And until he like I came back later on, and it was like oh nine or ten, where you started to see more of why people didn't like him. There was a first time where I didn't like him, but I'm, I'm kind of like I like him better now, especially after the whole US title run. But I think we're, we shouldn't really be talking about seeing it for the moment. We should wait till his match later. Oh, yeah, I forgot you had a match. <laughs> um, Edge comes out first. He, like, my God, is this man creepy. <laughs> he talks about, he grabs the mic, uh, talks about how when he wins, him and Lita are going to bang on Raw. Uh, I was about to say again, but they never got to finish the deed, did they? Because of the aforementioned Jonathan. Um yeah, he also does a really weird thing with his tongue a few times at Lita. And I was just yeah. scared for her. <laughs> I was like, just yeah. don't, go, just don't go near her. Then out comes RVD. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, looking great with both belts. And this was just a really good match. This was probably my match of the night. Whilst I'm looking at the notes, I'm remembering it a bit more. With the cool spot where RVD did a, whilst Edge was on the apron, RVD did a crossbody to the outside where he jumped over the, mm-hmm. the ropes, which was really well done. Yeah, and like you went through his leg drop to the back there while the while his opponents usually sprawled over the barricade, but Edge moved so it caused him to hit his leg like off the barricade, and then Edge actually power bombs him into the into the barricade. So they really yeah, definitely. I think Edge's selling was so, so not being a obviously not being a wrestler. It's hard for me to really comment on what's good and what's bad selling, but for me, Edge made every single kick mm-hmm. from RVD. Edge made look like a million dollars just from the way that he sold it because he was yeah. always wobbly legs and he was always he made sure he dropped down for every single move that RVD did. And I think Edge's selling as much as the match got RVD really over. Yeah, um, I love the rolling thunder spot, that was probably my favorite spot where he was mm-hmm. going for the five star frog splash, but Edge rolled out the way, kind of got on all four, so he's on the other side. So RVD jumps, forward rolls straight into the rolling thunder, hit it perfectly. Um, that looked awesome. Yeah. Uh, like, what what did you make of the... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, it's especially impressive because if you consider RVD in a recent interview, pretty much says he was probably high for the majority of his career. So the fact <laughs> that he's able to pull out any of the moves, any of these impressive moves that he's able to pull out uh, if he is... If that is in fact true, is even more impressive. Yeah, I mean that would end up costing him his entire run, unfortunately. Yeah. When was it hit him and Sabu? Yeah, got pulled over whilst RVD was champ. Probably not long after this. Um, yeah, and found those pills and weed and stuff. The cops did in the car, and RVD would end up dropping the title to Edge in a triple threat on a Raw. Mm-hmm. And then he would the next night lose the ECW title to Big Show, and then he'd be suspended, um, yeah. which is such a shame because he was on the cusp of something a bit special here. And I think that's honestly, I think that's what really not that it was going particularly well, but I think that was probably the final nail in the coffin for WWE ECW. Yeah. I can't imagine Vince McMahon was very happy because Paul yeah. Heyman would be gone by the end of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Just... I think having like the your ECW's champion also being the WWE champion really added some legitimacy to them. So I think once they lost that, that was really harmful. But I remember apparently Vince, the only reason he really suspended him to the belts off RVD was because like his champion got pulled over by the police for possession, yeah. so he had to be seen to be doing something. But apparently when he actually heard about it, he, the idea of RVD getting pulled over for weed, he just laughed. Right, it's probably just like, well, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the fact is when those things because the WWE champion so it's going to make news as well. Yeah, and that's and always one Yeah, like for for example, have you listened to this? Is a bit of an aside, but it's kind of what we were talking about as well. Have you listened to Bully Ray on Talk Is Jericho? Yeah, I believe I've listened to that recently. That episode, yeah. So one where um, well, he says that when the Dudleys were kind of done with their last WWE run. He, he presented the Bully Ray character to Vince McMahon. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, and then Vince said, well, I can't call you Bully mm-hmm. because of obviously the Be A Star campaign and everything like that. I just think, 
it's just a weird thing. Vince McMahon and words, but then he calls a tag team the Viking Experience. So, well, yeah, well, I know, and the fact that Billy had this whole angle, eventually someone would show him the error of his ways, and he would actually come to these BSR rallies and show him like I used to be a bully, but then I learned it's not right, you know. And also, I believe 2010 when they started there, and the BSR things went earlier that year. It had Mickey James every week be criticised for her weight. Oh God! So you it's know, just, it's a weird company. No, I think as much as anything, it's um, how and this is another topic, nothing to do with wrestling. It's how sensitive people are these days. Yeah. So if you do have a character called Bully, it's probably going to make another bloody John Oliver piece and everything yeah, like that about old WWE doing a Be a Star campaign, but they've got Bully Ray putting. Ray Mysterio through tables on yeah, their yeah. live TV. So I do kind of, I do get it because people would be irrationally upset by that. Because Billy said that even though he presented the idea of eventually changing and then using that as a message for Beastar, Ben said he probably would have already got enough negative press by the time they eventually did that. But he didn't think it was worth it. Yeah, because I think the spin would then be, it wouldn't be, oh, WWE played out a storyline. The spin would probably be, oh, WWE bows to pressure. Mm-hmm. And brings their bully to a be a star campaign. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know why we end up talking about that. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, what did you make of the ref bump, and what do you kind of make of ref bumps in general? Uh, it depends, because like this ref was kind of it depends, because sometimes they can be down for ages, and it doesn't take much. Like the weirdest example is obviously the May seventeen ref bump. When they go in the crowd for 10 minutes and they come back, the ref's still down, you know, you only got knocked in for like a clothesline. <laughs> but having yeah. said that, the, uh, the spots that they were doing, where Edge trying to use the tie on then the chair, some of the spots they did were actually really good, and obviously, because also they had to take the ref out to get to. I would also like maybe if you had Edge go for a spear and RVD, like what jumps it the way, but the referee's behind him, and if he gets caught with a spear. Yeah, they could have done. I think the trouble if you do like like a finishing move, like a spear, because that's obviously a move that's meant to take down proper wrestlers. You would yeah. think the referee would just be down for like forever. <laughs> yeah, and they also yeah. ended up when there was like slow count spots. So I think they needed the referee not to be down for too long. So like, yeah. so they could do that thing because like it gave, we've had the referee had to move slower that when RVD was down, it gave them more time to kick out. Yeah, definitely. I mean. Obviously, the way RVD takes DDTs is yeah. insane. Cause it's getting, um, Edge hits a draping DDT with RVD's feet on the top of a turnbuckle. Um, but RVD, he always lands like he's been pile-driven. I just don't know how he still has a neck. Yeah. Because he just looks brutal yeah. every single time. Um, the, it was one of those things that like you said, they say the greats kind of make it look easy. And like RVD is probably one of the best like sellers because of the way because it looks so easy. Like, Yeah, it's just extreme flexibility. And obviously the way he looks after himself, yeah. it actually does stretch. It's the same with DDP, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He always used to make sure he was stretched and recover so that he could do more in the ring. Um, I mean, do you watch Impact at all? Yeah, uh, I did used to watch it for a while. Like, I remember I watched uh, or then after the was it, I think it was Redemption where they had the triple threat with the Lucha Brothers and Eddies. I remember that was the first time in ages I'd properly sat down and watched Impact because I used to watch it like the start of the 2010s. 
then really fell away from it. Uh, I watched that and I thought, oh, it's actually getting good again, but I kind of check it back in every now and then to, uh, and because it does look like it's imp- it's improved. I uh, know, I think already has signed with him. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. He's back full time with him. Yeah, because he and uh, Sabu fought the Lucha, uh, Lucha Brothers, I believe, at Mina Weekend. Yeah, United We Stand. Yeah, they had a obviously a complete ECW match in the main event. Yeah, uh, tons of weapons everywhere. Haven't seen it, but I really want to. Yeah, it's worth like it's worth checking. Out. It's sort of a, the Lucha Brothers against then a big lump of nostalgia. Um, mm-hmm. Sabu actually didn't look as bad as I was expecting him to look. It's been a long time since I've seen him, but people have kind of said, kind of said, oh, I don't expect much from him. But he was still yeah. doing most of his stuff. But we'll get to Sabu in a bit. But yeah, RVD, full-time back with Impact. Looks like he can still go, obviously. Um, but the ending of this match comes where, obviously, the ref is still down. Lita is on the apron holding a chair across the turnbuckle in between the top and middle one. Uh, as Edge goes for a spear, RVD moves. Edge headbutts the chair. And then drops down middle of the ring for a big five-star frog splash for to retain. Um, Jerry the King Lawler's first thought was no live sex celebration then. <laughs> yeah, because it was weird to commentary for this match because uh, well, I was going to tell you and the King, I don't think 2006 you can say was their best year as a team, but uh, Jerry was like so like adamant like his whole anti-ECW thing as you'd expect, but JR trying to make the thing like, yeah, I'd like to see the WWE title back and roll, but at the end of the day, it's going to be whoever the better man is going to win. And RVD and Jerry Law is just having a go at JR, like, so you'd like if ECW kept the WWE title and just like, just bickering during this match. I wonder what their plan was if ECW actually went well, because they were definitely setting up for something big. Yeah. Obviously, we. We're not far away from bloody December to December, and that's then Paul Heyman's gone, and it yeah. just gets turned into a development territory basically. But, um, but yeah, they must had, have had a big plan, yeah. So, if you had RVD still champion by then, like if Kurt still duck around, you could hope you'd hope that it would be a much better show than it ended up being, yeah. I think the other thing I do think they kept kind of the originals around a bit too long. Like, as harsh as that sounds. Like, yeah. it was just kind of like watching... I don't know. Well, Heyman said, like, how different it was from actually ECW. Like, he said, like, he and some other people said, if it had been called anything else other than ECW, it would have been fine. The fact yeah. that it, had, it carried that name, kind of carried the, like, the legacy and the expectation of it, then that's why it went the way it did. Yeah, I think... Um... Obviously, it kind of ended up being what NXT has kind of turned into. Obviously, other than the game show version that came first, but it ended mm-hmm. up just becoming a development territory because obviously that's where Kofi Kingston started and Jack Swagger and people like that. Um, but yeah, RVD still champ. I don't understand why this wasn't the main event, but oh well. well on the right side, though, it did. It is actually the longest match, only by only by a little bit. Because it's it went seventeen minutes fifty five, where I can uh, make out. So at least it got like, as much time as it did. Because they put a good effort to show why it should have been the main event, and 
even if they weren't the main event, I wouldn't understand why they weren't maybe like second last and not like three matches to go, especially the one we're about to cover. But <laughs> what, what, what did uh, Meltzer give it? Uh, he gave it three and a half stars. So for him, it was his match of the night. Um, I think that's about right. I think these guys definitely could have a better match. Yeah, but um, they... They still kind of knocked it out of the park, effectively, though. Yeah, they did the best they, they could, and I would agree, definitely the match of the night for me. Okay, so we see the ECW guys backstage all just chanting ECW, RVD, ECW, RVD. Uh, Paul Heyman comes in to talk, obviously, about the extreme lumberjacks. Um, Al Snow. Did you notice Al Snow? Yeah, he was only one of the only <laughs> recognisable names to be him and Tommy Jr. Yeah, he's just stood behind Paul Heyman, but just over Heyman's shoulder, and he's just staring like a psychopath just at Paul Heyman. And then he's kind of bringing the head round into, <laughs> into shot as well. I thought it was really funny. Um, yeah, so Paul just gives kind of a rallying cry about the extreme lumberjacks and how Raw are going to have lumberjacks. And, I mean, they don't end up doing anything of any note. But we'll get to that match in a minute. Because right now, it's time to talk about Kane versus Kane. There is no video package for this match, which would have been really bloody helpful as to know how this ended up happening. But actual Kane comes out first. It is obviously unmasked Kane. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the original Kane music hits, and out comes a cosplayer. Yeah. Dressed as Kane. It is Luke Gallows. Mm-hmm. And right, well, the crowd are dead. Supporting <laughs> chance. Yep, it's really not well. good. Bless actual Kane because he is trying. He is trying. You can, and you can see he is having to talk Luke Gallows through this match. Like, there's a spot where Kane hit actual Kane hits the clothesline in the corner. And then obviously Gallows is meant to come up for the sidewalk slam, but he just stands there and you see Kane's already down to pick him up and you can pretty much see him go, come on. <laughs> and Gallows just walks into the slam and <sighs> why have both Kane and Undertaker faced themselves? Well, to be fair, unlike when Undertaker did it, it wasn't the main event. But no, yeah, because yeah, I'm getting that right because Undertaker, Undertaker may have entered SummerSlam, whereas thankfully this did not main event. Yeah, was it SummerSlam '94? Yeah, '94, yeah, which featured Owen B. Bear on the same card in a cage, which actually got five stars, and yet was not the main event. Yeah, I mean this is this is crap. Um, it, doesn't this all stem from the May 19th stuff? Yeah, essentially the whole voice telling them that everybody's going to remember May 19th but what the voice says there was, see my film. But this is like four weeks after that. Yeah. So why did they... I think I mean, they realised, like, we'd done the promotion for the film, but, like, I don't think it was really being received well when it came out or I don't think a lot of people were going to see it. So And also they thought, we need to have some sort of resolution for this voice, otherwise people are going to ask questions. So I think that's why they did this scheme thing. To fantasy book, why didn't they just bring Paul Bearer back and just put the mask back on Kane? 
and have that be it all. And Paul Bearer's like, oh, you've got to put your mask back on. But obviously do it in a spooky way. Yeah, but remember one of the things that really killed anything that like Luke, uh, this Luke Gallows version of Keane would have had. So for some reason, I'm a, apparently a glutton for punishment because I watched quite a few of the segments that led up to this match as well as the match itself. Jesus. Because <laughs> uh, most of the weeks, essentially, it's just this Kane beating up actual Kane. But when he debuts, he has possibly the worst wig you've ever seen in your life. And probably Gallows even said in an interview, like, I told them, like, this wig isn't going to work. And, like, eventually, like, right here in this match, he had a more realistic-looking hair that looked more like what Kane used to have. But, like, that wig really killed it. And from what I've heard, actually... There were rumours that uh, Glenn Jacobs, the actual king, was thinking of retiring, and they were going to be a big reveal that, in fact, uh, this imposter wasn't an imposter, and that it was the actual king, and that the unmasked version of king was the imposter, and <laughs> and apparently this was going to explain why this king didn't have any scars. <laughs> so they were going to try and claim that for about seven years we've not been watching Kane. <laughs> well, I think they could have like gone with like the first few years was actually was the imposter Kane, like the version that we claimed was an imposter, and then I think you could have said like as soon as like the flesh started showing, well, Kane, Kane started showing like an arm and then part of his face and his mouth. Like I think that those years you could have said it was imposter Kane. So, like there's a there's a period in like '99 after X Pop and Tour turn on where he disappears and then comes back. But when he comes back, that's where he debuts, only having one arm, like having one arm exposed. So, yeah. Like, somehow you can, and come convoluted way, you could argue that in that time away, that's when he got abducted or however, and that's when this new cane, like, appeared. <laughs> and it's ironic, given that he, Kane, Glenn Jacobs, debuted as a fake version of Diesel, that this is what they were going for. It's just a, I mean, what a match. Um, Meltzer obviously gave it five stars. Um, of course he did. <laughs> he gave it a quarter. Oh, I thought you would have given it. Oh no, sorry, sorry, I've, 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 been, I've done it a disservice. He gave it half a star. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, fake Kane just wins after real Kane goes for the diving clothesline. Fake Kane catches him, hits a terrible choke slam, and then drops down rather strangely to his knees to do Kane's version of the Undertaker pin. Is it the next night on Raw where this just all gets thrown out? Yeah, Kane just beats him up, takes the mask back and throws him out. <laughs> That's how you get rid of Kane. Yeah, because um, like, they tease like he knows who it really is and he was scared and then just like he throws him at the building and then that's the end of it. Well, I'm presuming if they, if Glenn was thinking of retiring, which is fair enough, if you want to retire, retire, that Vince McMahon just begged him backstage, well, please don't, <laughs> please, we I'll, need I'll, you. I prefer to think that maybe he saw what they had planned when, after he was gone, and thought, no, maybe I'll stick around. Yeah, he thought, I've worked too hard on this character. Yeah. For you to just butcher it. Uh, yeah. yeah, you would at least thought, like, the total slam looks terrible. You would at least thought they would have tried to have him put him away with a tombstone. Oh god, no! I'm not. Tr- I'm not trusting Luke Gallows at this point in his career to t- tombstone someone after watching this match. No, I'm sure 
it's a bit like an eternity when you're watching it, but in actuality, this was only seven minutes. Oh, God. I thought it was about ten, I think I said to you before we started recording. Yeah. It, it, felt, it felt really long. Seven minutes in hell, you could call this match. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is really sad, because this is one of the dark points in Kane's career, and Kane being my favourite wrestler, that's really hard to look back on. Yeah, Kane's one of my favourites as well, and it's just, I then rem- every now and then I remember some of the stuff they made him do, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, maybe he's not that good. Because one of the biggest missed opportunities is when he first took the mask off, and he was that insane person that they had to have in chains. Yeah. And then it just kind of never really went anywhere. Because I always found Kane kind of seems kind of the same as Bray Wyatt got criticised for, is that he would always talk, he would always do the action, but he'd never seem to win. Yeah. And was, I think it was one of the things where he's, he's always, I think he's always been a good character. It's just they always try and give him this backstory, but every now and then they'll change something about it and make it really inconsistent. Like, I remember... I haven't read it because I've heard it's horrible, but they released a book called Journey, book. Yeah. <laughs> Journey into Darkness. It was maybe the key backstory of, of Kane. It's brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I've never read it either, but it's just, I just love that someone had to write that. Yeah. Oh, but coming up next on the show, we've got, um, bear in mind, this show is, is shorter than a roar is now. Mm-hmm. But at this point, when I was watching it, I was like, this feels so long. It is dragging. Um, it is Cena versus Sabu in an extreme lumberjack match. Wow. Uh, we get to see a highlight package, which is basically John Cena being angry and beating people up. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole match is just designed to make, make sure people know that John Cena is better than the entirety of ECW. Um to begin with, the crowd are kind of gone. I think after Kane versus Kane, they might have been thinking the same as us and being like, what are we watching? <laughs> but they win them back pretty well. As the Extreme Lumberjacks is basically Sandman, Balls Mahoney, Tommy Dreamer, Stevie Richards. Uh, a few, there was that guy that looked like an Amish person. Yeah, uh, I can't. I can never remember his name, but some weird stupid name. I cannot. I can never remember that guy. So Nunzio was there as well, wasn't he? Or Little yeah. Guido, whatever he was going by at this point. I think he was Guido because that was his ECW name, and he because he defected over. Then he was going back to that name. I used to really like um the FBI. Yeah, I thought they were really cool. Um, who else? Was it? Super Crazy was there, I think. Yeah. I don't even remember. I know like Sandman, Dreamer, and like Snow were there. Oh, you're like, asking. The Amish, the Amish guy, like obviously stands out because he's dressed. The only person there dressed as an Amish person, which you don't expect <laughs> to see. He just looked like he got lost and got caught up in it. Uh, the raw lumberjacks. You got Val Venus. You got Big Vis, uh, Visceros, Lance Cade, and Trevor. Mur- Lance Cade looks like he's um, cosplaying as Bradshaw. I didn't make that many black notes. hair and a black. Sorry. Other than writing down that Lance Cade looks like Bradshaw, I'm just doing all this for memory. <laughs> uh, Charlie Huss was there as well, I remember. 
you've done clearly more research than I have because I didn't make my, you know, the only mental note I made when they came out was, especially for the raw side, what a bunch of jobbers. Because like, <laughs> it's just like, always seemed like whenever ECW came over and wanted to fight WWE, it's always the most like bottom of the card guys that they usually got awfully apart from what they, when they had Cena. With Cena in that, but like, it was always the guys in the bottom of the card that they get to fight the ECW guys. Yeah, I just don't think Vince McMahon, other than Rob Van Dam, ever really fought much of the ECW lot at all. Because, I mean, we put Sabu, an ECW icon and a legend, Mm -hmm. up against John Cena and what he lasts about six, seven minutes. How long was this match? Uh, 6.38. So this got less time than Kane v Kane. Yeah, and it was built up throughout the show, the Extreme Lumberjack. An Extreme Lumberjack match basically came down to... Every now and then, Cena would throw Sabu out on the Raw side, and then sometimes Sabu would throw Cena to the ECW side. But the ECW side would attack John Cena to little to no effect, and the Raw guys would just throw Sabu back in. Um, yeah, the whole throwing people outside spot just—it seemed like something you'd do in a normal one. So that like a heel throws some the face out into the heel side, and like vice versa. It just seemed like what a stream. Lumberjack matches is a girl lumberjack match, but Sabu also gets to use his chair to do his like very dangerous like spots where it's always fifty fifty as he get a fall and luckily he didn't <laughs> fall this time. No, but he did land on John Cena's face at one point trying to oh. do a leg drop and gave Cena a really nasty black eye. Uh, that was already kind of puffing up at the end of the match. That was horrible. He was meant to do the triple jump into a leg drop, <laughs> but he just botched it horribly and landed on Cena's head. Um, but to me, one of the reasons why I didn't was never a big fan of John Cena, and I do really like John Cena, and he did a lot. Um, and he would go on to the next Royal Rumble, have probably my favourite John Cena match, which was the last man standing against Umaga. Yeah. Um, or Umanga, if you're <laughs> William Regal. Um, but John Cena got hit with every single move Sabu has he got chaired to the head. Sandman hit him with a cane. He got attacked by all the ECW people. And it was still just a botched FU to the outside and an STFU. And that was about all he did the entire match. Yeah. Like, I remember you know, at the time it was kind of weird that Cena was, it seemed kind of random that Cena was in this match with Sabu. But with, you know, because I didn't know much about Sabu. But even now that I know over the years I've learned more about Sabu, it still seems quite random. Like, we need someone from ECW but then we see and weirdly they thought the best option like somehow the safest option to put him in with was Sabu I mean ideally they would have probably got them would have probably got a Jerry Lynn yeah like a Jerry Lynn or a Tommy Dreamer if you can't have RVD would be a better option I think the problem with Tommy Dreamer is you want they clearly the idea was ECW were heels and mm-hmm. I don't know if Tommy Dreamer could be a heel. Yeah. I mean, really, why? What? I just this match is just so strange because there's nothing that Sabu didn't hit John Cena with, mm-hmm. and he never at any point looked like winning. And it's just I know it's a criticism of Cena, especially when you get to SummerSlam 2010. Yeah. But John Cena was just beating up everybody, like he fu'd Rich uh, Stevie Richards the outside at one point um and yeah 
wasn't a big fan of this match. I know I'm going heavy into John Cena. I do like him. Um, yeah. But it's just, it was just a, it was kind of a nothing match. I still don't know what an extreme lumberjack match is. I think it's just a lumberjack match. But if the ECW people are so extreme and so up for a fight, why weren't they just starting fights with the Raw people? I think they did at one point, but they took them a while to finally. Yeah, but like straight away, because they all just yeah. picked their sides and it was like a gang war. Yeah, um, they, they, they should have definitely done it like earlier than they actually did. Because you could have just got out every weapon under the sun. You got like Sandman and Tommy Dreamer and everyone out there, but you don't use them. Like, um, I think. I think it's a case of like you can't just have a regular stipulation match when you got this ECW. Like you thought, okay, people expected something with ECW, so everything has to have extreme. Next week we had this, we had the couldn't have a elimination chamber. Wasn't enough yeah. to have extreme elimination chamber, <laughs> which was just there were some weapons in the match. <laughs> yeah, when you're in an elimination chamber, like does does having weapons really add anything more? Not really. Clearly not when you watch that. Like they, no. they, they, they barely even used them. Like the table was even they had a table on one of the boards that so nobody even went through it. Yeah, because I don't think they could get it out of the pod because they put they put Bobby Lashley who I know Big Show was obviously in there, but they put Bobby Lashley in there who's a mountain of a man, and half his pod's taken up by a table. Yeah, so he's just kind of uncomfortably sitting at the back of the pod. Um, that was the one where they took Sabu out of it on the show and put bloody hardcore Holly in it. Yeah. EC dub. EC dub. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says EC dub like hardcore Holly. Um, yeah, Cena wins. Uh, the kind of a botched FU to the outside. He was meant to put Sabu through the table, but he kind of missed it. Ugh. But I think that more than made up for the fact that Sabu jumped on his face at one point. Yeah. Um, Cena and the Raw people then clean house, beat up all the ECW people, just cement what we should be thinking of ECW. Which is that yeah. they are worthless. <laughs> I think it was the idea was, I think the fact that even though they think they thought this may have been all right because RVD still had the title, so yeah. it didn't really matter what they did as long as they still they still technically had the power if they had the ECW title. But and also, it's John Cena. But this and the last match, like you said, like how is this over? Uh, how is this going over RVD Edge in terms of like? position on the card yeah because this wasn't this wasn't a squash i know i've kind of made it sound like it was sabu got basically all the offense mm-hmm. and then it was just very strange and it's just a very quick match for what it could have been because you had the whole build up with sabu coming in and doing the triple jump leg drop to put cena for an announce table yeah um and you, you had real heat behind it mm-hmm. and it just kind of felt like John Cena was just then dismissed. Yeah, I think they wanted they wanted Cena to get some sort of like redemption because obviously he wasn't gonna get like a one on one rematch with RVD, and also because he'd lost at the last pay per view, which had been like one night stand. So they wanted him to get some sort of yeah. pipe went back and get some redemption against ECW. Who'd so have him win this match? And is it is it bad that my main highlight of art of Sabu Simon W is Wayne Kane? Eliminated him from the rumble by putting through a table that Sabu himself had set up. <laughs> no, I can't think of anything <laughs> else he really because like he would obviously get busted in the car with RVD, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of that was to any chance he had of doing anything, it was gone. And then getting taken out of the uh, the 
extreme yeah. elimination chamber yeah, on man. the show. Imagine, uh, like it's bad enough when it's good enough when he tries to climb up and flings off the ropes. Can you imagine if he tried to climb up on one of those pods, though? Oh God, <laughs> he <laughs> he wasn't built to be a high flyer. No, but no one told him that because they were too scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh, to go back to Big Dave, he quite liked this match. He gave it three and a quarter. Did he? Yes, he was a fan. Um, I wasn't, but I'll each to their own. I was really like, is he being sarcastic again? Because yeah, he gave the whole five star thing for the last match. I was really like, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, was... he gave it. He gave it three and a quarter. I would, I would have, I would probably not have given it anywhere near that, but you know, he's still on. Yeah, it's up to him. Um, it, it's main event time. Yes, this is the main event. Um, it is a five-on-two handicap match. The reformed DX, which actually reformed. The story of them reforming is quite good. Mm-hmm. With Vince McMahon, it's obviously the year where Vince McMahon fought God. And um, won. And won. He jobbed, uh, he jobbed God out on pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, he's been making sure Michael's life living hell. He's brought in the Spirit Squad uh, to help to back him up for some reason. Um, God knows why. Yeah. And they've obviously been all beating him up. Triple H has apparently sold his soul to Vince McMahon. And then there's a segment where, Vince, where the Spirit Squad beat up Sean. Uh, Vince tells Triple H to go there, hit him with a sledgehammer. Triple H refuses, or doesn't refuse, he kind of tentatively, he's thinking about it. And then Kenny of the Spirit Squad took his sledgehammer and that's where Triple H kind of snapped. Yeah. DX were back and they've been running riot. They've been making all sorts of great homophobic jokes, like sending gay dancers to go talk to Vince. Not talk to Vince, to go dance in front of Vince. Um, There's a bit where they they bought him a chicken and he's like oh so they bought you a cock <laughs> and it's all very funny and drop goo on the spirit squad as well yeah yeah i'm losing interest already so i'm just gonna get to the match <laughs> yeah, remember, um, remember how i said the uh, the longest match was 17 minutes 55 and that was age vrvd yeah it was very narrowly the the longest match because this match went 17 minutes 45 so 10 seconds extra rvd an age goal. So you know, you remember SummerSlam where Brock Lesnar squashed Cena yeah. in what was a captivating squash match. Uh-huh. This is the opposite. <laughs> this is yeah. a 17 minute squash match <laughs> because there are small windows where the Spirit Squad get offense in. Bear in mind there are over twice as many of them. <laughs> yeah, they brought out a trampoline at one point as well. Oh, God, they were, like, first off, props to Johnny, who got his nose destroyed um, during a bit where he was being clotheslined over the top rope, um, and he carried on. So props to him, because I've broken my nose, and I I just cried. (laughs) And he carried on wrestling uh, Triple H and and Shawn Michaels. Um, So I will give him props, but this this is garbage. Yeah, like, it's about that, like, not only do they have the numbers managed, but they try bringing chairs, they've got a, a bloody trampoline. Yeah, and, and they, hit, somehow they hit Shawn Michaels in the head with a chair at one point. Mm-hmm. And nothing. Like, they got a wee bit of offence in, but 
Yeah. And you look at the Spirit Squad at this point, at no point do you think one of these five is going to be a world champion, multiple-time Intercontinental champion. Like, nope. We big Nicky, Dolph Ziggler, would go on to be a world champion. Yeah, in eight years' time at Survivor Series, Dolph Ziggler puts on a performance of a lifetime in a in the Authority v Team Cena match. But here, like, they just didn't get the opportunity to. Yeah. It's plain to say that they got nothing. They were used as comedy because Johnny, obviously, after getting his nose busted, he's covered in blood. And then he does a bit where he puts a martial arts headband on and starts doing karate kid crane kit thing. Yeah. And like, I mean, on the one hand, like, like obviously, these five are, like, they're, they're as early into their career as they are, like, they're getting a main event spot against like, two guys who are pretty much legends by this point, but... Uh, I don't think that's. I don't think they were wanting to argue about how they were they were treated. No, I'm sure they had frustrations privately, but no, they're, they're not going to have the pull to do anything about it. But like, I mean, they do gang up on Triple H at one point, and Fred, but it's just it's it's all just short-lived stuff, and it is just the Shawn Michaels Triple H show. Um, yeah, they end up winning and. Um, they isolate Kenny, who's meant to be the leader of the Spirits One, and would go on to have a short singles run as Kenny Dykstra. Yeah, uh, well, I think he, he was. If he'd be Ric Flair. Yeah, he did at one point, and um, he was tagged up with Victoria for a bit. Okay. On SmackDown, which is pretty. Yeah, he was fairly good. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, he wasn't going to go on and have the success that Dolph Ziggler did. I mean, uh, to be fair, you've talked about how all the stuff that they got uh, in this match, like how little office they got and how they got basically joined, it didn't get much better for them because I remember on Raw, they got all put in the one crate and it said to be shipped back to Louisville, Kentucky, which was the location of OVW, their developmental thing where all these guys had came from. So essentially it was them saying like, well, these guys aren't aren't good enough yet back down these ago. Yeah. I mean, I know these guys never got established, but John Cena gets a lot of shit for SummerSlam 2010. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Shawn Michaels and Triple H killing careers right here. Yeah, like, and then like, at SummerSlam, like, before the whole, they put them in the career thing, they do a thing before the match with Shane and Vince. It's another where they bring the Serbs got it, DX handily, like, beat them up. They bring, like, Regal and Finlay and someone else, I think. They easily beat them up, then they easily dispatch to the big show and then beat up uh, Shane and Vince. Like, it's almost like suddenly they become even more powerful now that they're back together. Yeah, I think this was... I know DX are very popular, but this feels like a massive ego trip. Yeah. Like, because what... Even at the time... There's a bit, because I made a note of it, where one of the Spirit Squad pushes Sean into their corner... So bear in mind, Shawn Michaels is now surrounded by five people. And mm-hmm. Shawn just throws elbows and punches, knocks them all down. Yeah. With no problem. You just go, what? This is the main... What is this? What's it meant to be? I mean, they were never they were never going to win, but like, they could have got at least a better Shawn. They could have just at least been... They didn't have to give them a lot, but like... Normally in a tag match, no matter who's facing who, you get the build-up to a hot tag. Mm-hmm. 
where someone's isolated, but they would isolate someone for like 30 to 45 seconds a couple of times. And so there was never a hot tag at any point in this match. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was the cool bit where one of them did the trampoline jump on the outside and did a big 450. Yeah. But obviously, Shawn Michaels moved out of the way. So, because he wasn't going to get hit by anything in this match. Um, they isolate Kenny, pedigree, done. Then they beat them all up again after the match. A couple of switch in musics and pedigrees. And then they do a thing where, of course, we have to end the pay per view by doing eeny, meeny, miny, mo on the bodies of the Spirit Squad. One of them gets unlucky and gets his face shoved into Triple H's bare bum. Yeah. Uh, that long pause, ladies and gentlemen, is the correct response. Yeah, because I think we've said a, a lot of negative stuff about this, this show so far. <laughs> we've we found some positives in like, the, the IC and the WWE on that, but it's gone to a point where we've run it, we're running out of things to say if it, how yeah. bad this was. Vince McMahon comes on the ramp and says, I'll see you two tomorrow. Do you know what happened the day after? Because I didn't I even bother to look. Okay. I'm it can be a surprise. I'm assuming it may have been the angle where they all got covered in shit. <laughs> yeah. That happens at some point. Yeah. Um, why was it the main event? This would have worked fine as a 12-minute match in the spot where Edge and RVD were. Because the yeah. reforming of DX, like, yeah, it's cool, but it's not like you're reforming performers that you've not seen on TV every week. Yeah, it's like, I remember when Legacy fought them in 2009 when they reformed, like, yeah, again, like, even though DX won that feud as well, like, at least DBRC and Rhodes got more offense, and, like, I remember, like, they had three paved matches, at least Rhodes in that one. Like, and even in that, they had they were even numbers. Like they didn't even. This is a case where they had the numbers advantage. Like they had a hell in a cell match where they locked Triple H for the majority of it, and they beat down Shawn Michaels. So, like they said, like even in that one match, they got more than that Spurs squad really ever did to you. Yeah, I think it's just it's it was a comedy. It was a comedy match. That's what this was. It wasn't a serious thing. So I think why put it over your WWE Championship? I think because DX was big. Because it was DX, yeah. And nostalgia and that, because 2006 was a big nostalgia year, because you had ECW come back, you had Flair and Foley, you had Hogan, DX. Yeah, I just, it's just a run out of ideas. I mean, you did have JR constantly mentioning the Attitude Era. So yeah. that obviously is what it was. He kept playing. I was like, the Attitude Era is back. Like, yeah, um, like you said, the build to them getting back together is good everything after that is stuff you'd like to forget. Yeah, because it's meant to be a serious, like, blood feud, because Mr. Uh, Mr. McMahon's been like, Sean Michaels, I'm going to make your life a living hell. And then Sean Michaels just dumps a load of green goo on people in response. Mm-hmm. It's like, you forgetting earlier in the year, you forgetting that WrestleMania match you had, Sean. Like, you wanted yeah. to kill him, and now you're delivering chickens to him for a cock joke. I know, like, it's one of those things like not knowing where to leave it alone because like if you ended up with the, the match at WrestleMania with Sean, I, yeah, that was fine. Nobody would have thought anything more of it, but the fact they had to keep it going, and the fact they'd already done God, so like where can we go after we've beaten God? 
I mean, where they end up is in a hell in a cell with DX, Vince, Shane, and Big Show. Yeah. And they, and they shove Vince's head into Big Show's ass. Like like you said, like you see trip, uh, John Cena being better than the whole of ECW. I mean, Big Show was on the losing side of that Hell in a Cell match, and he was the ECW champion. Mm. It's, I think it's, oh, it's just two very flat matches for me to end the show. Yeah. And, well, three, because Kane, I forgot Kane versus Kane. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that'll do for Vengeance. I think we've said, well, <laughs> it's just kind of depressing to talk about now. <laughs> yeah, because I think before we came on, we were talking about like, the World's Collide stuff, because I haven't seen it yet. I think I need to go see that. I need to remember what good wrestling is. Yeah, I might go watch Gargano v. Cole again. Shit <laughs> <laughs> me up before Raw tonight. Um, I mean, if you were to sum up your thoughts and kind of give this show, I mean, give it sort of a school grade, where would you put it? I think the highest I could give it was around a C. Because like the it's been propped up by those two matches we talked about. Like, even though I didn't enjoy the angle or match as much as you did, I still was had its strong points, especially in like the last few minutes. And then the IC title match and the uh, the WWE title match had that. But like I thought, that maybe giving it a B minus. But like I don't think those matches are enough to prop it up to that level. Yeah, I'll probably. I'm going to go slightly lower. I'm going to give it a D. Yeah. Um, the positives I can say about that is obviously if the IC title match, Edge v RVD, and the opener. But I mean, the final three matches, you've Kane versus Kane, and then just two kind of. I mean, Cena v Sabu was fine for what it was, but it was again just squashing an entire brand. And then the main event being just a 20 minute ego trip for DX big squash match it's just it just kind of sucks um pros I will say this show it is only sort of two hours 40 minutes which compared to to wrestling shows these days I mean takeovers are sometimes around that length generally they're about three to be honest though this felt like a Wrestlemania in terms of length it felt like five hours to me like, uh, like it's like I said to you before you want like comparing it if you want to compare it to Tiga where the only positive comparison is the length other than that there is no other yeah. positive comparison to make um, I think again I know it's, it was a different time um, there are no women's matches on this show mm-hmm. and that's just kind of it's almost when you go back on you, you get it's, it just doesn't feel acceptable yeah especially when you got talent like Lita and Mickey James. I know Trish was injured, um, but you got people that could have had a match, and instead you gave us Eugene v. Umaga. Yeah. Um, two squash matches as well. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Eugene and Umaga thing, like you talk about squash matches, that went only like, less than two minutes. Like That's like a Sunday heat match you put on before the pay-per-view, not something you put on the actual pay-per-view. I mean, we don't really look... And it is two hours forty minutes, but the matches are all really short. Yeah, with the exception so, of two, one of them deserved to go that length. The other one probably didn't. Yeah, very true. Um, 
I mean, that would be us done. That was throwback thoughts. We're sorry it was kind of depressing, but the show's just not very good. Unfortunately, yeah, no. that's what the randomizer gave us. You, you went from talking about NXT on the show uh, takeovers with some of the best wrestlings yeah. in the last <laughs> few years, and then you give them this. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys, but um, would you say for people to go watch this show? I'd say watch uh, the IC Trouble Threat and the WWE Tail match. Like, not to hark on those two again, but they were, for me, like, I'd try to focus on the positive of this. If you and these are the other only two I can think of, and like they're right bang in the middle of the show, like back to back. So if you just watch that, then you're you're fine because like the network gives you the option to skip. So please take it up. <laughs> yeah, I'd say the same. I mean, if you do want it, because he's just retired. If you do want to watch Kurt Angle in full flow, yeah, then this is all. There are better Kurt Angle matches out there, but it's still a good one to watch. Um, yeah. it's not a bad match. Um, but thank you very much for listening guys um as always you can find rope break at rope break brand on twitter uh on the instagram as well rope break.co.uk we've got the magazine out as well you can find links for that on twitter and plenty of articles going on on the website as well we've got all the other podcasts in the feed we've just started uh looking back at the money in the bank uh ones it's uh, that's really good to go back and give that a listen and we'll have plenty more stuff up as well uh scott thank you for being here yeah uh, thank you for having me like i was happier saying to you about it than i was watching <laughs> the actual show but yeah. <laughs> where can people find you on the internet have you got anything you want to plug uh, yeah <laughs> uh i want to plug uh my podcast Go on Paul's Rambling Podcast, it's on Twitter at SP Rambling, it's on Anchor, Spotify, like basically any good Android podcast so you can find it. Uh, and if you want to follow me, I don't know why you would, but if you, if you want to, you can get me at Scott McClay 1996. Awesome. You can find me at Nathan Greenaway on Twitter. Thank you guys, and we will speak to you again soon. Bye now. Bye bye.